Hello everyone, welcome back to The Bridge IE. I am your host, Tam Lorraine, and it is so great to be back here with you today in this space. Thank you so much for listening. I know there are so many awesome platforms out there you could be listening to, so I appreciate you for joining me. As always, I hope you're happy, I hope you're healthy, and I hope you know that you are loved. Today, we are continuing with our series, Inside Education, with a wonderful guest educator, and I'm especially eager for you all to hear this. So without further ado, let's check it out. All right. It is such a privilege to be sitting here. Uh, My next interview and my next guest, I welcome her with open arms. (laughs) Um, It's been said that she is uh, my twin, my, yeah, just anyhow, uh, another family member but she's putting on her education extraordinaire hat <laughs> for the purposes of this interview. And I'm very thankful. Uh, I get to sit down with um, someone who has dedicated their career to making change. And over her 20 years in education, she has served as an assistant principal, uh, dean, a district level coordinator of special education. And she currently serves as the director of special education in her sitting position now. Um, she's rocking it. She's doing her thing. That is none other than Miss Tammy Wilson. <sighs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for being here. I appreciate you making time <clears throat> during this, uh, this crazy season. <laughs> Oh, you're welcome. It's always a privilege to talk about education. You know, that's my passion. Right. That is her passion, you guys. And right now she has her education voice on. So forgive her as she <laughs> as she does her thing over here. But um, I, I simply brought her into because there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of layers to education. As you know, there's a lot of different you know, perspectives, you know, you have teachers, you have counselors, you have administrators, you have the students, they have perspectives, and, um, and then you have board members, and you have kind of been in the capacity of every role, I would want to say. (laughs) So how has that, how has that been for you, for sure, for like, seeing education through a lot of different lenses? That is an excellent question. Um, And you kind of hit the nail on the head, I guess, because you know me, you know, I have have a lot of different perspectives, probably all lenses um, as a student um, for a number of years in higher education. um, I always thought about how to make it better for persons that were going into the field of education. And then while in education, um, all the challenges that are that you face but then always going back to your why. It's like, yeah. okay, I know this is a challenging position and these folks can be challenging and this child can be challenging and the parent, but guess what? My why, right. my why education part. And so I feel like when you empower people to learn, then they can take that next step to make better decisions. Mm-hmm. And so imparting knowledge is like a big piece of my why. Um, that is amazing. Yeah. (laughs) It's important too, because as I'm studying right now, my listeners know that I'm going through my credential program. And anytime that I get to a point where I'm like, I don't want to do this. I, like you said, it's important to remember the why, especially in education. uh, Because it, 
it never stops. Like you just have, I think that's too, another thing that draws me is that it's different. Like every day I feel like it, something new. Just it's, you, that's another good point. In education, um, so just a real quick background. Before I was in school to become an educator, when I say school and secondary, uh, my secondary schooling, middle school, high school, I thought that's what I wanted to do, be an educator, right? So um, my senior year, I actually got into, it was an ROP program where you actually got to go to sites and you were our teacher, teacher's aide and you got credits for it. Um, you didn't get paid, but you did get credits. And so mm -hmm. it was cool on campus. And so that's what I was striving to do. And then um, I had a, uh, a sidebar <laughs> for a minute because I started working with the city of Long Beach mm -hmm. and I was on the back end of education. And what I mean by that is I was working in workforce development mm -hmm. and I was helping young folks get into jobs. Mm. And, and I was there for like six to seven years and during that time, we did a lot of amazing things that I really enjoyed. But one thing kept coming to me is these stu the students that I'm trying to send on jobs, they're not qualified, not because they can't really do the job, but they don't have the basic skills, like the right. foundation skills for reading, writing. They can't present themselves. They can't articulate. And so again, my why came back into place. It was like, yeah. okay. I gotta go back to education. Yeah, <laughs> we have to get this right. <laughs> and so when I went into education, I went to the beginning. I started as a kinder teacher mm. and it was an amazing experience. And I realized at that point, this is where I need to be. Right. right? Have, education is empowering. Yeah, you have those moments for sure. I was, uh, I literally want to go back to you you kind of helped me go backwards because um I know I would be remiss if I didn't allow you to acknowledge your upbringing in the great city of Long Beach and and all the things that have have helped you uh be the the person and the empowering person that you are today in education being that you come from one of the uh <laughs> most right. famous and most amazing schools in Southern California, if not the nation. I'm gonna go ahead and let you take your five seconds to just say thank you to the, the school that gave you. <laughs> I, I, thank you I thank you for this opportunity to yes. express. I will not take too long on it, although it's difficult not to talk a long time about the Funk House, the Long Beach Poly Nation. <laughs> Uh, I am a member of the Long Beach Poly Nation, and I am so grateful to be a part of that nation. And so, yes, they did impart a lot of knowledge to me at the Long Beach Polytechnic High School um, and in the city of Long Beach. There were, obviously, it wasn't a perfect situation at that time, but I will say that Long Beach Poly introduced me to the fact that when you enter to learn, you must go forth to serve. 
That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I had to let her have that moment. I had to make sure that that moment was uh, recorded and it will forever be uh, filed away because there is no way you can ever do anything with a jackrabbit without identifying <laughs> where they're from. So now you guys have a, 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 a foundational kind of premise to, to, to who this educator is and, and the legendary that she is. It comes from that Long Beach Polytechnic tradition, pride, and empowerment. And it really truly is. It is a legendary school, everyone. Um, it is a school that imparts the empowerment of learning and mm -hmm. what that does for individuals. And then that community, like you said, during that time, the 80s and the 90s, it was rough. You know, it was, it was, rough. It was rough back in the day. Um, mm -hmm. How did that, how did that experience in Long Beach also shape the educator that you are today? <laughs> I will, I will tell you this, you know, you always say that I, I, I wish I would have done this. And I, and I, I do say that now, like there were, there were resources for us that I think I could have taken more advantage of, but even the glimpses that I did uh, take advantage of, I think it helped me to understand um, a lot of perspective in education, a lot of perspective in life, um, decision-making, politics, um, power, money, all that. Um, yeah. Because Long Beach Poly, um, going back to it real quick, that they had an infrastructure and you could make choices. Like at Poly, I think they were the first school to have um, a black history class that you could get credit mm. for. Mm. And so um, that was like big, a big deal. So it was, yeah. the only, I think there may have been one other campus in Long Beach, but I might, I, I'm, I'm I don't think so, but I think there may have been, so I don't want to misquote, but I do know that that campus and Mr. Rogers and Ms. Dunn, they were the teachers and well, Mr. Rogers was a teacher, but Ms. Dunn was just a powerhouse on the campus. She was an African-American female teacher that really helped support all of our uh, campuses. There were black groups on campus that I should have got more involved in. I was involved in one. Um, I was in sports, sports. It was so, um, Long Beach Poly Sports was so high and, and everyone always demanded and expected the best from your scholar athletes. Right. And so being a part of that made you pursue and do things that were like, how are you structuring yourself like that to do that? Getting your homework done and et cetera. I, I'll never forget that. I'm sorry. And I'm, cause I don't no, know. Go, go ahead. Go for it. <laughs> so, so um, one of my brother's friends um, I always looked up to him. I looked up to a couple of his, my brother's friends who were your dad. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, but he, he's a doctor now, Dr. Asaya Pia. Um, I say he was studious to me. He played sports, but he seemed just studious to me. And one time he came by the house and I had just come home from practice and I'm, you know, a 10th grader at the time. And I think he was a, a senior. Yeah. So I'm in, in the dining room doing my homework, doing what I normally do, right? But his words of encouragement to me were just like unreal because this came from a scholar athlete with Long Beach Poly. He's on right. the basketball team and he's not one of those stupid people on the team. He's smart. <laughs> so he said, uh, he said, that's a lot of self-discipline you got. You come home from practice and you get right to your 
homework like that. And I was like, you know, I was like, okay, at the time I was trying to like be big and bad too. Oh, you know, I have to set myself and put structures in place to make sure. (laughs) But really it was just something I started doing. No one told me to do that. But when he said that, I saw the importance of that. Yeah. Um, So it, I don't know who else did that and they, their course through high school at Long Beach Poly. But when he said that, it made it more impactful for me. And then there was um, people like Errol, Errol, I can't say his name, Oral Parker. Mm-hmm. He was awesome. He was, uh, we had a program called OGR and he would go around in the community and basically help us get into like volunteer work or working for the community, mm-hmm. reaching out to do service. So if you connect with him, just know he's going to connect you with something that's going to help right. you with community service or something. So there were resources there and there were, there was this uh, intrinsic type of, type of thing where people would just kind of build you up just yeah. because you went to Long Beach Valley and, you know, yeah. we were the best for each other. So that's your haters. But at the end of the day, for the most part, it was a pretty good experience. So it, it, it always baffles me. It seems like the, the Jackrabbit stories, they never get old and, no. They're, they're always fun to hear about. I mean, every single jackrabbit I know is making sure you know how hard it is to be a jackrabbit. It's hard to be one. It's hard to beat one. Exactly. And that that for sure, that competitive flow, that that drive, it it overflows um into you you all's the alumni rather, most of y'all. It overflows into your career paths and the way that you guys do life and things like that. So it is admirable. Uh, so I am sitting across from Jackrabbit royalty people. Uh- <laughs> right, and, and I'm sorry, you made a good point because that was a point that I was trying to get to. So thank you for bringing me back. I was going to say that that structure, um, though some of it was intentional and some of it was not, it did help to, to structure or, or um, carve out how you decide to work um, in your career. Like, yeah. you know, you competitive, yeah. you're competing and you want to do your best and you're not yeah. going to present yourself um, uh, almost halfway. <laughs> so, so that is, yeah. but because you have to, you've, it comes from somewhere and you have to learn it in order to try to impart it, whether it's mm-hmm. in high school, in college or somewhere else, there's things that you learn that you grasp on. And I know for certain, watching um, this woman firsthand, uh, the jackrabbits definitely <laughs> embedded in her what it is to just have a drive, a focus, uh, and 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 as uh, as she loves to say, and do you <laughs> in 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 the best ways? Exactly. <laughs> it brought out the best in her, uh, being right. in that that climate, that scholarly climate. And so we fast forward and uh, you've you've taken a detour from education, but you've landed right back and you've been in education for 20 years now and you've been in different roles. Um, I'm taking everyone inside education with this series and I would be remiss if I did not um, go deeper into special education um, and and not acknowledge what that form of special the value that special educators and people who fight and advocate for special education to remain within schools, um, but just also get because it is Black History Month. 
also get some of your takes on the various disparities that are ex are still existing. We've come so far, but there's still some things that um, a lot of African American families have to face because of their positioning. And mm -hmm. so, um, how do you how do you go as a leader? How do you go? Let's first start with special education. What drew you? to um, being a force within special education and an advocate for those in need of special education? Um, I think uh, three things. One, my brother that's autistic, I had a desire to figure out what made him work like that in his mind, kind of brain research. And then also um, how could he learn? Because he, we missed the mark back when he was three, through five years old. Mm -hmm. And then two, when I was working um, for the city of Long Beach, a lot of times the kids that would apply, or, sorry, children that would apply for jobs would be those individuals um, that may have had an IEP or been in alternative education. And so they were struggling. So I was like, um, why is it always um, the minority student? I find mm -hmm. there was a large number of minority students um, that had IEPs um, black and brown. And then um, the last thing was, um, I always was about a challenge. So my thought was, if I could educate the ones that are deemed to be the lowest performing students, right. then, then I can, I can definitely see change. And that's what I wanted to see in students if they're learning, I want to see change and growth. I enjoyed working with the, the gate students and the, the students that, you know, were in the midpoint as well because once you something clicks for them they take off with it well that's right. the same for kids with um learning disabilities mm -hmm. um a lot of times it just takes a minute for it to click is how right. they process so um those are my big three as to why i got in special ed and for listeners who are like because people who really don't just don't have an idea um can you explain to us what an an iep is what what those what an iep is for those students okay so uh, iep is education um individual education plan it's a plan for mm -hmm. individuals and basically it outlines what the problem is mm -hmm. based off the data and it outlines what accommodations and supports and services will be given to this student to help them um, maintain or perform in a in their classroom setting. Mm -hmm. So I equate it to um, it's just an extreme version of glasses. That's what I call an IEP because it basically if you can't read. The first thing you're going to, the doctor's going to tell you, you, your vision is bad. You need glasses so you can see and read the text. Right. Well, with an IEP, it's a little more detailed. So you, you find out where the issue is and then you, you build on it um, from there. So. And it's, it's uh, for me, I, because when I first got into special education, I had no idea that I wanted to be inside special education. It was kind of something that I I took a position so that I could fulfill a coaching duty mm -hmm. um, in, in, a, in a better fashion and my time wouldn't be so, you know, unpredictable so that mm -hmm. I could coach better. And so while I was there, um, that's when I came across the special education community 
and mm-hmm. within public schools and I fell in love with the little kiddos and mm-hmm. <laughs> and I started to learn more about a community that existed um because uh, even when I was in high school I was student athlete I was you know involved with various different things and obviously I had a uh because of family members like my uncle um I had uh knowledge about you know, individuals who were autistic or who had disabilities. However, I did not have the um, the awareness about the different struggles or the different things that they have to go through while being on campus with, you know, regular old student athletes like myself. So it was really eye-opening for me to see that. And then from now being older and having a position to be able to further understand and just have an awareness, it was pretty cool. But um, <laughs> Like you said, the challenge is knowing an individual and their circumstances and being able to assist and support them in ways that they can develop and further just like any other general education student. So I think the challenge for me was often um, often limiting, putting limitations on students prior to being patient enough to let the plan work or put the plan into action. And so right. for me, that was my perspective going into this as a special education, you know, part of the special education department was placing those limitations. So for me to do, to ha- have that mindset going into special education, I can only imagine the outside community or others having you know and it just it's a thing like it, it's a lot of people don't like to to claim their their blind sides <laughs> right well I think the big thing that I'll say kind of from a historical perspective is special ed um if you look at the law it came into existence really in the 1970s yeah five. Yeah, so the IDEA law is it's a federal program. So that means you get federal funds for it. So anytime you're getting funded for a program, there's a lot of legal pieces to it. You know, mm-hmm. um, for everything, there's uh, uh, legal aspects of it. But with special ed, I think that's been the, the, the barrier. It's almost like um, with the civil rights movement and uh, when we first got our right to vote or we were integrated into schools. Right. There was the free appropriate public education. All those from a historical perspective, it made people do stuff by law. Mm-hmm. And so special ed sometimes fall into that category and people in education, as well as outside education, feel like I'm made to do this for these students. And that's dollars that could be spent somewhere else. And so you get into conflict because of that. But what you just said was very true. This is a not, not about limiting students or the limits or the things they cannot do. Right. So when you go into developing an IEP, um, an individual education plan, you are always thinking about what the child can do. Mm-hmm. Because we already know, like if you, when they do assessments, we, we have psychologists and they come in, they do assessments. And, and then you can see as a teacher and observer, okay, this child is struggling a little bit with, with <laughs> pronouncing this word. Wait a minute, yeah. he should be able to do this. Right, so your job at that point is, as a, as a, your ethical position as a teacher is, oh, I didn't figure it out. It's not for you to talk about it and, 
oh, they're going to mess up my test scores. Oh, they're going to do this to the, the reputation right. of the school. It's not that, right? It goes back to, you know, the equity conversation, that picture where the kids are looking over the fence and, yeah. you know, you have that's that conversation. So it's like, okay, I figured out that the child can't do this. So now I'm not going to put any limits on the child. I'm right. going to figure out what he or she can do. And I'm going to make that work for this child. And right. guess what they do uh, intentionally and unintentionally for their child. It's going to be, okay, somebody believes in me. Yeah. And, you, and I guarantee you that child, you're going to see some results yeah. in that performance. Right. So which That's, is ultimately the goal. I think it's, I think um, when I was with the RSP students, um, they definitely opened my eyes to see how amazing it can be to actually watch a student come in a certain way with certain uh, weaknesses and turn those weaknesses into strengths over time. And right. as long as, you know, you have those teachers who are adamant about placing those, um, those tools in front of them, where they can reach their goals. It truly is amazing to see. And you go deeper into, uh, you know, you have SDC students, those special day classes, and then you have uh, those handicap classes. They all can do things. <laughs> it's right. just a matter of how are we supplying them? How are we giving them the tools that they need and the aid to, to get there? Right. So I think, and that to me, to be able to see that from an instructional aid point of view, was special because for a long time I was like, and I do think this is me speaking up for AIDS. I do think a lot of times instructional aids are um, undervalued in some districts and definitely misused in some districts by some teachers. And that's just me going to put that out there because I've been <laughs> in that role. I've been in that position. Right. But it is truly remarkable to be able to work um, alongside a teacher who is um, organized and adamant and intentional about making sure whatever's written in those IEPs is being handled um, properly in the classroom. So that's an amazing thing. And there is history behind special education. It just, it just all compiles. And I was just like, wow, everything, everything is just within education is just layers. <laughs> right. And then there's the, there's the, there's the cautions within special ed, you know, being in special ed for a long time, working in education for a long time. Um, you can't let the bad apples be the, the end all for special mm -hmm. ed, because there are, there are some things about special ed that people take advantage of. Yeah. And that, that's the truth. Yeah. Um, for example, I'll, I'll do it on both ends from the education end, and I'll do it from the, the, the parent or community end. Yeah. So from the education end, I'll, I'll, I'll put us on blast first as an educator. There are individuals um, that they try to find a way for lack of a better word right here to get over <laughs> because it, you know everything has an accountability system, particularly in education. Right. So if I have a student and in California, for example, the laws are a little different in qualifying an African-American student male versus mm -hmm. versus in other states. And because I've been to different states, I have that perspective, <laughs> as you know. Um, so, so um, you know, they can't take an IQ test, a psychologist in California, right. to qualify uh, African-American for special ed. Mm -hmm. So guess what the trick is now? The trick now is 
hey parent i just been noticing that um john was not johnny jerome has been um a little bit more um active and he's his attention is not great and i've been noticing that for a few days i i can't say what it is because i'm not a doctor but you may want to just take him jerome to um take jerome over to um hey um your doctor and if they give your diagnosis we could be able to maybe assist him but i'm not telling you to take him to the doctor i'm just saying that i can't diagnose him so right. i'm talking in a certain voice that doesn't mean anything all voices can say this um so anyway so they go and they they have a, a diagnosis from a doctor well there's a, a thing under special ed now it's been there for a while one of the qualifiers is called ohi other health impairments mm -hmm. and there are three uh, criteria for getting that qualification right so so since it's difficult for uh uh it used to be that African-American males will have the emotionally disturbed qualification. Mm -hmm. um, it's been a challenge now because accountability pieces come in. It's like, mm -mm, too many. What's going on? Disproportionality. Right. right. So now they're going another route. It's OHI. So once you get the medical record in, like ADD, ADH, whatever it is, then at this point, I can say, oh, he's struggling in this class. He's struggling in this class. Oh, OHI. So now we have a disproportionality happening now for black African-American males, particularly right. in OHI qualifying. So how do we stop? Oh, wait, let me go to the parent side. So then there are parents and then there are foster parents that are out here that try to take advantage. That's what we're talking about, taking advantage of special ed, where they see a dollar. Right. Money. Their child <laughs> may not need special ed. Right. Their child may need more interventions on the social emotional side as well as academic, but they don't need an IEP. Right. But it's a check involved. Mm -hmm. My child qualifies. I'm going to go down here and get SSI or whatever you, you yeah. can receive. So it's not overwhelming that that is happening, but because it happens sometimes more often than it should, special ed becomes a, a stigma and a barrier on both sides of the equation right. when it really was designed to do what we talked about before. And right. I think if we can, as educators, stick to that focus, like I am really trying to help my why, I am trying to help this child. Right. We have more resources now to help him. We're gonna make him better. He's gonna help you out in the long run, believe that. So that's my only little, concern about special ed there is a concern that we don't get overwhelmed by the negatives on both ends of the continuum that we just hone in on the purpose of special right. ed that's important and that's good information because i think um i think people who are um not aware or maybe i know my mother just had a friend of uh, a, a work friend who was recently diagnosed with autism age five years old and they couldn't figure out the issue that was happening within his classes. Um, he was, um, yeah, he was very, you could detect that there were definitely significant concerns. And this is at the age of five. And mm -hmm. I think um, for parents, for me, um, I always just knowing you and knowing that you are advocate for both parents and for educators. Um, for me, it was like, 
what a process to have to go through when you genuinely as a parent have a, a child with with a concerning um, educational limitation, a disability that is, you know, um, that is that does exist. And that concern, she was very overwhelmed um, as a parent because she's a parent and a counselor. Mm. And so she was yeah. fearful and, and afraid and not knowing how to parent, you know, you counsel these students, um, you know, and they're not yours. And so just seeing that overwhelming feeling that she had as a parent over the diagnosis that her child received, I had to think, I said, man, and there are people who really seek these services out with absolutely no inkling or detection of a true existing uh, disability. And there's people who take advantage of the services. And I can't imagine, you know, I, I'm like, what, what do you do as an educator? How do you make sure that um, these things are, you know, not happening on an often, you know, because for me, I was like, I felt for, it. I said, wow, that yeah. parent, you don't want to hear that your child has a disability in any fashion. Right. And I think, again, education is, and knowledge is power, powerful, uh, to say the least. And so I would say, like I just was saying, like in that situation that you just described, it's so much of a blessing to know that there is a service out there for individuals that go to the doctor and they find out they, got, they have autism. Mm -hmm. So what can I, and you find out young, that's better, obviously. So what, what can I do? How's my world going to change? What yeah. supports are in place for me as a parent? So even within special ed, they have parent groups. So uh, really big on autism and students with like ID because intellectual disabilities, because it's such a, it's such a, uh, it requires so much from a parent. Mm -hmm. And I think about my mom and my dad and everything that they had to go through without the information, you right. know? And it's all about, at the end of the day, you want to develop the child. Um, once you find out, you want them to develop, to be independent, to take care of themselves one day. So when you find out a student with ID, um, uh, intellectual disability or autistic, and you know that they, they, their world is different in their brain, you have to develop their social cues to the norms of this world so that when they get out, they can handle it on their own because guess what? One day your, your, their parents are not gonna be here. So yeah. how are they gonna make it in life if you don't do that? And so um, one of the Kennedys, historically, she was um, John F. Kennedy's sister, I think was the one that really was a promoted, proponent for special ed. Um, it started with the uh, Special Olympics, but she started just fighting in Congress for these bills to go into education and. Once it got going, you couldn't, it wouldn't stop. And so right. the benefits from it definitely outweigh the little negative pieces that we kind of talked about before. And so we could hone in and be intentional about staying focused with the purpose and the intent behind it. Understanding that parents, they really don't want their child to be like this and right. the child want to be like this, but they're here. Mm -hmm. So we can't throw them to the side like they used to do and put them in asylums. We yeah. have to, we have to work with our students. And at the end, it makes for a better society. It makes for a better country. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, we talk about mental health being a big, big issue. It is. Mm -hmm. So um, students with ID and autism, they have 
mental health concerns, um, mm -hmm. anxiety issues. They don't know how to cope in real world situations. Right. Um, and kids that get labels put on them, they too become uh, uh, students with mental health issues because it's just put on because of society. Yeah. People gunning them and I don't want to be like that and stigma. It's, so. it's definitely something because I, within education, they get lost. Um, they definitely get lost because just like for me, I've been advocating for the entire population in education, all students to um, hone in on life skills post, you know, K through 12 education. While we do need textbook curriculum and we do need to meet standards of basic fundamental education, we need basic skills uh, to be able to handle ourselves in a society, in a world that is growing in diversity by the second and um, and also resistance of that diversity all as you know all is happening simultaneously and um, the last guest that I had on we spoke to the um, the changes in text in, in curriculum that she was able to make because of the the pull that she felt as an educator to not make um, standardized testing the standard for their educational potential. Um, because I think when we go, we go to get educated on how to, uh, how to fix a car, that's education. You need to know the basics of education within if you're gonna try to be a mechanic. And so at the end of the day, you're constantly edu being educated on something. And there are fundamentals that you have to be educated on. But we talked about integrating Black history within um, within yeah. her curriculum and how she was able to do that and how she gets pushed back by her administrators because she does it without, you know, apology <laughs> and she's unapologetic about it. I think there are a, a number of educators who, in this moment, um, I like to take from Amanda Gorman when she says, and I will keep saying it when she says, if you take a step back, we are part of the ongoing process because we look and we're not too far from ancestries being enslaved and civil rights movements and things like that. So mm -hmm. if we take a step back away from special education where it is now, we see that we're part of an ongoing process uh, to meet ideals that were pretty dope pretty good idea <laughs> missing the mark in so many different fashions and I right. think educational policy I think you were the one who opened my eyes again I said why did you go from teaching to being an administrator like for me I was like that's a lot of responsibility you doing a whole lot like what in the world <laughs> and the response to me was because it was the only place I saw that I could be able to really affect uh change and I said "Ooh." Yes, it's true. Because being That's so focused true. on the student and making sure the student is well off and having that um, role in their lives is so important. But I was like, but does at what point does the cycle stop where we actually can see change from the way standards are implemented and the way policy is implemented? Because it affects public schools, and it's particularly why. There are so many inequities is because of educational policy <laughs> that's in place. You are, and, and that is so, cause I'm always trying to strive and, and, and read uh, in that area of education policy to talk about, to look at that. Because as an administrator, you're given policies and laws and standards that you are asked to 
to ensure are being implemented by the teachers. So mm -hmm. as, as that's my, as an administrator, I'm accountable. I have to ensure accountability for that they're doing what they're supposed to do with the kids, right? Right. Uh, right. And the kids are doing what they're supposed to do as well. So, so for me, it was always, it's always and continues to be about pushing the envelope at that level to say, okay, tell me why this, for example, why you can't integrate um, a black history uh, uh, lesson within your English standard, right? Right. Because at the end of the day, you got to read something, you have to read points, you got to read. So why can't we just integrate that into your standards? And even when we talk about special ed, we're talking about um, it's the delivery of instruction is how we deliver instruction. Why does the special ed student have to always, why do you feel that the sep, uh, uh, special ed kid has to be always in a separate class? Mm -hmm. Why can't the special ed student be in the general ed setting with other students if we're talking about pedagogy, how you deliver your lesson? So right. if you're delivering your lesson to include everybody, that means you're going to be, uh, as, a, as a great teacher, you're going to look at um, what I'm presenting, you're going to prepare for it, and then after you deliver, you're going to assess that they learned something and then you're going to reflect on how you delivered it. So right. if, if we're doing that as our practice as a teacher and you're building your craft, it doesn't matter if the kid has an IEP or a, whatever the term, a gate kid, right. <laughs> you're going to still, you're as a teacher, you're going to try to teach the child. And, and I, this was my big thing when I did do professional development on campuses as a dean, I was really about and as a director or coordinator, I'm really about PD. So it's really about, okay, you, you guys didn't get that in your four-year colleges. Right. <laughs> so I'm, about to, I'm about to give you some real deal right now. If you come into the class and you're going to teach a child and the object is teaching and learning, right. that means somebody has to learn. You're the teacher, the student is the learn person that's going to learn. So just like you, if you're not getting what that person is up here talking to you about, your job is to make sure they get it. So right. what can you do to make sure they, they get that? Right. So guess what I'm here for? I'm here to give you some training, some tools to make sure they can get it. So do your small group. Do frequent checks for understanding. Do those things that can assess that they are getting it. And if they're not getting it the way you're giving it to them, guess what you got to do? You got to change. Yeah. I got to change. I approach to teaching. So that means I may do more visuals. I may get up and do a rap. I may do something to engage those students so that they'll get it. Cause your job as the teacher mm -hmm. is for that student to learn. Yeah. That's at the end of the day, all you're doing. It, that, <laughs> and I think for me, cause I, I get excited about it because uh, one of one of my professors in my credential program that I'm taking right now is uh, a part, she's teaching us to be culturally responsive within our classrooms. And I think um, when I first was, you know, saw the title of the, the class and the course, I said, oh, cool, we're gonna learn how to teach diverse students. And when people hear diverse, they automatically think just the color or, or the, you know, that culture that they come from, black, white, Asian, Mexican, whatever. And right. once I realized, you know, I put my why behind going to a credential program, I'm studying to be a special education teacher. You're culturally diverse, uh, classroom is going to look a whole lot different because they're diverse in the way that they learn 
they're diverse in their disabilities. One has a hearing issue, one has a seeing issue, one um, can't, you know, can't really make out emotion. You, they're all coping with something. And right. that they're black, white, Hispanic. <laughs> right. So for me, I said, you have to be uncomfortable as a teacher. And for me, you have to be willing to shift. And because we do, I think, shout out to my school district that I'm at now, Paris Union High School District. I've grown so much as a professional. They treat their paraeducators slash instructional aides as teachers in the sense that we are all a part of the professional development that they have on campus. And within that professional development, a teacher has to be willing to shift gears from their teacher hat that they've been in all day and sit and be a student ready to learn new methods, new forms, new things. Because at the end of the day, the students are not just data. They're not, they're, they're, they're not numbers. <laughs> they're right. not numbers for you to try to like reach. I mean, of course we want to make sure they have high test scores. We want to, because if they are having high test scores, that means they're learning what you're giving them. That means right. learning is happening. And so for me, it was cool because I had like the excited moment, like, oh, I'm geeked because I'm going to be a teacher one day and I get to teach diverse students and I get to continue to learn how, because my culture I come from where, you know, being black, there are things that don't get handed to you. You you see white privilege uh, before your eyes with the case of um, other, you know, students who just had a leg up above you um, as far as that is concerned. So I'm always going to teach from that lens. Am I going to be biased towards black students? Am I going to have to check my bias <laughs> towards black students and make sure that the white students and the Asian students are learning yes and it's going to be uncomfortable to say the least but those are challenges that teachers I feel like are resistant to face right now and, and I, in this moment it you have to be the educator that's ready for this moment because you, we right now as America we are either going to flip and continue on to going to the reach those ideals or we're not and we're going to go take step backwards Right. And, and, and I'm excited about the fact that you want to go into education. I am. And I'm saying that, um, with a sincere heart, not just cause you, you're one of my favorite people, but seriously, I think that we need people in education now that understand education is, is not an easy job. It's really not. And you have to be able to know that every day is not going to be the same and you have to know that you got to always learn you have to always learn and build yourself no matter where you are there's going to be the students even if you go to a district that has all hispanic students or all african-american students there's always going to be diversity in learning because the the culture of learning right now is so different and what kids are expected to know with this technology and the communication and, and how social media is, it's faster. Everything is such a fast pace. And, and so even in teaching in the classroom, you, got, you have to build those relationships quick with the students and understand what their learning patterns are. You can't, you don't have like, you used to have the first week to like, like lollygag, not lollygag, but kind of get yourself set up and you still need to do that. But before, school starts your structure should be in place and right. you should be ready to go that first day on a strategy to build relationships because 
that relationship building has to happen right away. And you have to engage the kids right away. Because if you don't, especially at the high school level, because if you don't, you've missed that whole year. I, yeah, I definitely think like you can, you lose, you lose students so quick. Yeah. Um, you lose students very, very quick. And a lot of, <laughs> I will go, <laughs> I call sometimes when I see my kids in passing, I, I like to tease them. And I say, all of you guys are fake. <laughs> like because. <laughs> Because they, in this time of being, you know, educated, it's hard because with, um, with one look at you, because like they have that social media, one look at somebody and it's like a wrap, they disconnect and they put guards up like a, you know, just like a brick wall. And it's the same with teachers, substitute teachers know exactly what I'm talking about. When when teacher, when children walk in, if they don't feel connected already, it's a wall and then it makes it 10 times harder for you to knock down as an educator and so I I, for special education um I had to hone in on them um that community um with you because I know you have the firsthand look with your experience at what it is and so uh really quick because I I often we talk about the teachers and we also have to know that parents are involved in this too and we are a community and we are um, trying to better our our students and our children together Um, what would you call for parents and how would you call for parents to be of a support to educators during this time Um, you know especially during COVID and pandemic I think we've seen parents have we've seen kind of like the exposure of what parents rely on education and educators for And and so how would you encourage parents um, with special, uh, you know, needs students? How would you encourage parents and and call out to them during this time, um, during a pandemic? Um, Another excellent question. Um, I'll start off by saying essential. You know, we talk about um, educators being essential. They are essential workers. Um, And I will definitely say the parent is an essential um, part of the online as well as we when we are in the school setting and I think I think the biggest piece that comes that when you're work talking about a student with special needs um, depending where they are on the continuum of special needs if they're the, the students with ID and um, AU that have the more severe um, handicaps or disabilities should I say you 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 see more involvement because because they're nervous too Mm -hmm. they are so concerned and so i would say to them keep fighting their fight because they they're going to fight they're going to voice their concerns they want to hear everything Mm -hmm. and i would just encourage the the education community to be patient with with that that group of parents well all parents but particularly those parents hear their concerns hear what they're saying and, and try to respond in a way that shows why your why, why you came in education. You know, they always talk about teachers care. Well, show that. Mm-hmm. that and then for those, for those parents that have students with learning disabilities and we're in the online setting and they're just struggling or speech um, concerns and they're not as severe in their needs. The, uh, I would say to those parents, treat those students like, you know, you would any student that doesn't have an IEP and mm-hmm. ask your questions too. You know, tell your ch- make 
them understand your your child that I expect the best from you. If I'm going to I'm going to help you advocate for yourself and I'm going to continue to advocate for you. Mm -hmm. um, so do do your best. Tell me where you're struggling and I'm going to talk to the school to let them to to ensure you get the help. But I'm not going to be a crutch for you and this this label that you have right now is not going to be a crutch for you either you can learn you can get to class on time you can engage in class yeah um so just just be that parent that that you are to your children um in a positive way and an encouraging way and always advocate don't ever feel like there's not a, a there's a you're asking too many questions or that's a stupid concern ask them all yeah be that voice always them. I definitely would say always to those parents. always yeah. and finally the last thing I have for you being that it's Black History Month and it is uh intentional that I've integrated this month's series inside education with Black History um mm -hmm. I want to know your top three Black figures that have inspired your work that you do today three black figures that have inspired you to do what you do today. All righty. Um, okay. Quick. I got like 20 in my head. So I'm gonna <laughs> narrow it down to three. Um, I always have to say the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Yeah. Um, I, I, and then the, I'll just give you the names and then I'll get, give you my wise in just a second. And then my next one would be somebody, uh, Oprah Winfrey, I have to give her a shout out. Why did I know it? I knew it. I knew I have to Oprah give her a shout out. I do. Some people, you know, people have their issue, whatever. So Oprah. And then my other one would have to be, she's not as well known as everyone, but she's well known to me. Her name is Emma Bonita Calhoun Conley. She was my, she is my black history uh, mentor um, and um, love her to death, my auntie. Um, so those are my top three. And I say Dr. King because you know, everybody knows who Dr. King is. But when you start really studying and hearing what Dr. King said, he definitely had a deeper, deeper call um, than what we, this is my belief, than what we see on the surface he was so deep to me that he had people confused. And why I say that is because he was talking nonviolent, which was what he practiced, but he was so deep that he exposed the violence of others. And they, you know, some people didn't know they had it in them on both right. sides. You right. Know what I mean, so it was like, I know this is crazy. I know I really, I want to like knock somebody out at the right. end of the day, but I got enough discipline and restraint to live my calling right to do this and i'm going to expose y'all in the meantime so i think that's just so deep to me and then um <laughs> oprah because she just was like i'm gonna kill this i don't care what people say about how i look <laughs> or where i come from she was a force in journalism and broadcasting that's yeah. for sure yeah she's a black like, woman yeah, I'm just gonna do that. And then the last one, um, my aunt Emma, she was the one that taught me through her actions because I was a quiet person. 
Um, she wasn't, but she taught me through her actions how to fight and fight for for fairness. She wasn't about like status. She she respected people that had their titles or whatever, but it's like, I don't care what title you have. This child should have the same thing. And I'm gonna fight to make sure that child receives it. Mm-hmm. Not just children, but adults, impoverished communities. And she would fight to get that. And so that's where my fight spirit comes in and with my equity. When I think about my philosophy and education, it's always about equity and fairness yeah. to make sure everyone gets receives what they should receive. And right. I can go, on, but I'm going to stop. <laughs> <laughs> it's brilliant. It's amazing. It's mind blowing. It can go on and on for hours. I think as the more and more I have these conversations with people who I admire and um, aspire to integrate into my career path, um, the more excited and um, the more confirmation I get that I'm doing the right thing to be able to integrate something like podcasting. I love to talk to integrate podcasting with um, with education and they be able to fume like this. It, it just makes me feel all bubbly inside, like I'm doing something great. And then to have it be about the topics like this and to be able to pick your brain it's amazing. It's lovely. It's awesome. So thank you so much for sitting down with me. I thank you for the invite. And I am like, as an educator going on my way off the, not dying or anything, but just off the scene. (laughs) You know, I feel great about the fact that someone like you, intelligent, great communicator. And I, I too think that what you're doing now would be a great piece to add into the education world to just keep the conversations going because that's what happens we don't have the right conversations so some having some structured conversations to be preventive versus reactive in Mm -hmm. education would be excellent so i applaud you and i thank you for the invite um (laughs) it was amazing sitting talking with you i know uh i know it's 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 a day off but (laughs) we're definitely excited and You guys who are listening, um, feel free to submit questions. Feel free to follow up with this episode. Tell us what you like. Give us feedback. And because this educator still got some power. So (laughs) if you are, you know, uh, in need of something or need directory towards resources, don't be uh, hesitant to to reach out on the Bridge IE Instagram account and submit your questions we would love to try to respond to you and help you out um, as you navigate your journey with your student, with your teachers, with your administrators. We are here for it all. That is it for the Bridge IE. Thank you guys for tuning in. One thing, one thing, go ahead, go ahead before we go out. One more thing you talked about parents. If there's a parent that hears this and you need someone to help guide you and advocate for your student in special ed, feel free to reach out to Tam or to me uh, or get Tam to give me information. I do help support parents and they're um, advocating for supports and education. Yes, yes. With, and that information will be given to you guys on the Instagram account. Reach out to us. Uh, we're here to support you parents just as we're here to support the teachers. We're all trying to be great in our own rights and we're all just trying to move education. The needle has to go forward. So. Uh, hopefully you guys learned something today and hopefully we will be able to assist you in all of your endeavors with your students and your administrators and your teachers and your community. We're here to do great things. (laughs) Again, thank you guys for listening. 
uh, on the bridge IE. We'll see you back here next time. All right, bye. <laughs>